And uh, if you go anywhere along at all, you realize that that's not everywhere. And I sure do appreciate, uh, if I could take you all with me, some of the dead, dry places I go to, you'd appreciate this as much as I do. And it's just good to be amongst God's people. Now, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Leviticus, chapter number 2. Leviticus chapter number 2. If you could give me just a little bit more on this, Mr. Soundman, I'd appreciate it. Leviticus chapter number 2. And I uh, sure do appreciate the invitation. Didn't that you choir do good? Boy, what a blessing that is. I'm glad the devil don't have them all. And not all of them's out uh, drinking beer on Friday night and doing drugs and all that. But there's still a remnant left that God has designed and put in these last days. And what a joy it is to be a Christian in these days. In these days where we can watch prophecy and the things of the Word of God come to life on the news. And I just believe it could be today that Jesus comes back. And I wish you would. I wish you would. And uh, what a blessing it is to be here. Leviticus chapter number 2, are you there? And those of you looking in the New Testament, you're going to be there for a while. Leviticus chapter number 2. I want to look at one, one verse in verse number 13. Then I want to cross-reference in the book of Mark. But I want you to look with me in Leviticus chapter 2 and verse number 13 where the Bible says, "...in every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt." In the book of Mark, chapter number 9, you don't have to turn there. But Jesus said, For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith shall you season it? Have salt in yourselves. Have salt in yourselves. And have peace one with another. Heavenly Father, I pray God the next few moments, I pray God you'd help me to preach tonight, God, with, with power and God unction that the old timers prayed for. Lord, I do not desire to be a show. I do not desire God, Lord, to impress the brethren tonight. But Lord, I do desire, Lord, to do what you've called me to do. I pray God, Lord, that you would, Lord, uh, convict that one that's nearest hell tonight. I pray, God, you would encourage that one that's discouraged. And I pray, God, Lord, that all of us would leave out of those back doors better for you than when we came in the doors. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the presence of God that we felt here tonight. May you receive maximum glory tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, uh, inside verse number 13 here as I... Uh, the Lord began to show me this thought that I'm going to preach tonight. I saw the word salt, and I began to do a little word study on the word salt. But then I also saw the word covenant that was buried in verse number 13 there in Leviticus 2. And I found out that inside of the Word of God, there are two main covenants inside the Word of God. Number one, we find the blood covenant. And number two, we find the salt covenant. I, I'm going to preach on both. I'm going to do a little bit on the blood tonight. And then I'm going to spend most of my majority of my time on the salt covenant. Uh, but, but, but the first covenant that we find in the Word of God is the blood covenant. The word covenant is simply defined as a mutual consent or an agreement of two or more persons or a contract. 
Another definition is an, uh, an alliance. When two people come together to form an alliance. Many times, me and Jared have been uh, at a meeting. We form an alliance trying to get Becky to be ready on church on time. Uh, in those, uh, we form an alliance. And that's what it is. A covenant. A, a joining together. And the first covenant, the first joining, and the first alliance that we find in the Word of God is the blood covenant. And could I say this? I sure am thankful that in a day when most people have gone contemporary and they're throwing out the blood out of the Bible and they're throwing out the blood of the songbooks, I'm glad that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose all of their guilty stains. Honey, I'm telling Telling you, if you trust in a church membership role to get you to heaven, you'll go straight to hell. If you trust in Buddha, you'll go to hell. If you trust in a Muslim religion, you'll go to hell. But if you trust in the blood of Jesus Christ, heaven is yours as good as anything. Oh, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood covenant teaches us the redeeming process of Jesus Christ. It teaches us about the, how the blood of Christ and what it took to get man reconciled back to God. I don't have to teach you a Sunday school lesson, but in the Garden of Eden, mankind's sin and the disease of sin has been running wild all across this world. And there had to be a remedy to restore fallen man. And the only remedy was the precious, pure, and powerful blood of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the blood tonight, aren't you? We got a little boy. We left him home with my, with Becky's sister tonight, but, uh, Tucker's 15 months old. He's the cutest little boy you ever seen in your life. I mean, he's mean. He's already got a 30-06, a 22, full camouflage, and he's going hunting with his daddy this year. Somebody say amen. But Tucker, I mean, he's a, he's one of precious little boys, and uh, when he was born, they come to me and, uh, they, you know, they, they, uh, when he was born, they make the daddies cut them umbilical cords. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm kind of weak stomach kind of guy. I can't take all that stuff, but I was trying to play the part and do the normal dad thing. And uh, Tucker was born and they said, all right, dad, it's your turn. And I, I went over there and I, I cut the cord and act like I enjoyed it. And let me say this, whoever came up with that in tradition was a sick individual. Can I get a witness right there? I mean, that's just nasty. That's nasty. But, but, but it, we did it. And uh, before Tucker was born, we got something in the mail and it was from the cord blood registry. And uh, Becky came to me, and you know, women, when they're pregnant, they get their way. They ain't nothing else. They just get their way. And they, she said, honey, I want to do this for Tucker. I said, what is it? She said, I don't know. It just means he's safe. They're going to take his cord blood when he's born, and uh, they just want $3,000 of your money. I said, well, I ain't going to be able to pay back what i got to pay him already. Go ahead and tack it on the bill. See if I care. So I went ahead. We signed up for it. And the day Tucker was born, they come out. I cut the umbilical. And instantly, a whole group of nurses took that blood. And they went over in the corner. They began to draw samples from that blood. They began to test it. And they wrapped that little piece of cord up, put it in a box. A little old tiny dude come and picked it up, put it on an airplane, flew it to California. They put it in a freezer and took all my money. I looked at the doctor. 
I said, Doctor, mind you, I'm just a redneck from West Virginia. I don't understand none of this stuff. I said, but could you please tell me why I just paid that little dude to take that thing and put it in a freezer in California when I got a good deer freezer at the house? He said, well, sir, he said, what you have to understand, he said, that cord blood is, 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 it, is at its purest place. And said that if for some unforeseen reason, all the way down through Tucker's life, if he is ever to get sick, or if ever an infection enters into his blood, or if certain types of cancer become involved in little Tucker's life, they can go back to that original blood that has the pure properties, and they can unfreeze that pure blood, reinject it into the infected blood, and the pureness of that original blood has the power to knock out the infection in that infected blood. Right there in the in the little room there where we was having the where she was having the baby. I said, Whoa! The doc said, Mr. Townsend, you alright? I said, Do you understand? That's what God did. Mankind messed up, so he had to get the pure blood of God back into mankind. So God the Father made the plan that Jesus would come all the way from heaven as a vial of blood, the pure blood of God. He was born into this world. He lived 33 spotless years. He never told a lie. He never had a bad thought. He did not have the ability to sin. He was pure. He was holy. And when He shed His blood on the cross, the pure blood of God was shed so that the pure blood of God could be re-injected back into mankind so mankind could be reconciled back to God. Aren't you thankful for the blood today? A man told me a story one time, said that he grew up in a home, and in the home he grew up and everything was good as a little boy, but daddy worked at the post office and the mama... Uh, she she stayed home with the kids, but uh, the man told me that to make a long story short, Daddy quit coming home at night. He said, and uh, he started drinking, and liquor got a hold of him, and the bottle that he picked up, he could not put down. Let me say this: that's what liquor will do to your life. Them kids in school want to make you think you're cool, but I'm telling you, it's going to get a hold of you, and it's going to ruin your life if you're not careful. But he began to drink, and before it was all over with. That liquor bottle made him lose his job. Then it made him lose his wife. Made him lose his children and his house. And he wound up walking on the streets of West Virginia with nothing in this world. The man that was talking to me was his son. And he said he grew up with a hatred for his father, saying, I'll never be like my daddy. He grew up without a dad. He went through that whole scene with a single mom, raising all five kids and uh, he did not, he, he hated his father. He disliked his father. He didn't want to be like his father. And he said that he would never be like him. But you've heard people say like that before. You cannot do right and not be saved. You can't do right and live right. You don't have any power over those things without the blood and the power of God working in your life. Uh, and he, he grew up in a home. Mama did the best she could. Uh, he said, but, uh, time ran on, make another long story short. By the time he's 19 years old, he's handcuffed up against the cop car, going to prison for being and doing what he said he would never be. Sin always complicates things. And he, uh, 
He told me that the worst moment of his life was when he had to call his mama and say, Mama, I need you to come get me out of jail. She was on her second shift of the day trying to make enough money to raise all them kids by herself. And now she's got to come get him out of prison. And uh, he, he said that after he called his mama, he went back inside that little jail cell and, and waiting and all that stuff going on there. And he said that it was inside that jail cell for the first time in his life that he heard a voice he'd never heard before. It was the voice of the Holy Ghost. And now he didn't know that. He'd never been to church. He'd never heard a preacher. He never sat in Sunday school. But he said the Holy Ghost of God began to speak to his heart and said there's got to be more to life than just this. There's got to be more to life than just drinking and doing drugs and wasting your life away. There's got to be more to life than just this. Said that he got out, and the other dudes that was with him that day got probation. But he, he, he got, or the other dudes got jail time, and he got probation. And they let him go. And he said he was in that car the next day, riding home with his mom. And he said the funniest thing: the same voice that was in that jail is now in that car of his mom was going down the road. And that voice saying, "Boy, you need to get to church and get your life straightened up." He didn't, by his testimony, he didn't know Baptist. He didn't know Pentecostal. He didn't know Nazarene. He didn't know none of those titles. But luckily, he wound up in a shown-up, leather-lung, fire-breathing chainsaw. I'm talking about hell-preaching, independent Baptist preacher in the mountains of West Virginia. And we call them chainsaw preachers up there. That's where I met you when I was a little boy up in Flatwoods in a camp meeting when I was just a, a little old boy. I was born the year you got saved. Say amen right there. But that's a good year. But... uh I, I, up there in West Virginia, we call them chainsaw preachers. They, they start off, they got out wide open the whole time they're going. And, uh, he, this man told me he went and sat in the back and that preacher started getting, I mean, he started preaching, hacking. Nobody sits on the first three pews because that's the, that's the spit section. You know what I'm talking about? All new fabric up there on the front. And said he began to preach the Word of God and he said the same voice that was in that jail and the same voice that was in that car is now sitting on the back row of that church while that preacher's preaching saying you better listen to what that preacher has to say. You don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. You better listen to what that preacher's saying. How many of y'all remember when the Holy Ghost found you for the first time? Boy, I said, well, what'd you do? I said, did you go forward? He said, no, it scared me to death. He said, I, I, I ran out of there. He said, I got in my car. He said, I turned my radio up as loud as I could turn it. He said, I was trying to drown out that voice, the Holy Ghost. I was trying to drown that voice out of my head. But the louder the music was, the louder that voice got. He, he said, I punched the gas on my car and tried to outrun that voice. But no matter how fast I went, I couldn't outrun God. He said finally he got to his house and started walking around in that little basement. Said he started walking around trying to, uh, trying to make it just a coincidence and get it out of his head. He said, but he could not get away from what that preacher said. And he said finally he just fell to his knees and said, God, I've tried to quit drinking. I've tried to quit doing the drugs. I, I've tried every way I know to make my life right, but I can't do it on my own. He said, God, that preacher said that if you would save me, you'd give me the power. And God, if you'd save me, you'd change my life. So best I know how, I'm asking you to born me again. I said, what happened? He said, he born me again. 
I said, what would you do next? He said, I got back in my car. He said, I rode down to my girlfriend's house. He said, I ran in there telling everybody, honey, I just got born again. She wasn't a church girl. She didn't know what that meant. She, she said, what are you talking about? He said, I did what the preacher said. I, I got born again. She said, how do you know that's real? He said, because ever since I've been in jail, that boy started talking to me in my heart, been beating out of my chest. But as soon as I got off of my knees, my heart went back to normal. The world can explain a lot of things way about things, but they can't explain away the change Jesus makes in a man's life. Said he got out there and got off of his knees. Said and I said he told his girlfriend, she said this. She she said, Well, you have all of that you want. I don't want nothing to do with it. He said, all right. He said, let's go get something to eat. They went to eat and a whole week went by and it was Saturday again. And that man looked at her and said, honey, said, I'm going to hear that preacher again in the morning. You want to go? She looked around and realized she was in West Virginia. Said, ain't nothing else to do. May as well go to church. So they loaded up in that car and he took her down and that preacher, sure enough, I mean, he just was ripping and snorting and preaching. I said, well, how was she acting? He said, well, at first she had them arms crossed, you know, like, bless me if you can, you know, kind of like some of y'all doing right now. But, but, but sitting there, you know, I, I don't like this guy. I'm just sitting there and rejecting everything God has for them in a service. And he said, but something happened in the middle of that preacher's preaching. He said, the same voice that was in that jail cell. And the same voice that was in that car. And the same voice that was back yonder last week. Now has found his girlfriend. And I said, how you know? He said, I looked over there and she was wiping them eyes. Never been to church before. He said, more the more the preacher preached, the more she fell under Holy Ghost conviction. And the more it went on, the broken she got. He said, that preacher got done, closed his Bible. And he said, he never mentioned salvation, never mentioned an altar call. But she pushed herself out of that aisle, walked down to the altar, looked at that preacher, and said, I need what he got last week, preacher. And she got born again, too, by the blood of Jesus Christ. They got the life straight. They got married. I mean, everything was wonderful. God was working in the life, and she turned up pregnant. You know, story nine months later, here comes the baby. And he told me it was a Wednesday night. The whole family, they was fixing to go to church. said, before they walked out, there was a knock come on the door. And uh, it was the probation officer. That man was still in trouble being watched after by the probation officer. said, that probation officer walked in and looking to make sure everything's all right. But everything was all right. Jesus can fix what rehab can't fix. Said he walked through that house and began to look around. Said before he knew it, that probation officer had tears running down his eyes. Said, sir, I remember when I met you for the first time. He said, I thought for sure your life was a wasted life and a ruined life. He said, but since you told me that God has saved you, he said, I cannot deny what God has done in your life. The probation officer said, I can't deny what God's done in your life. He said, he began to walk around the house and him and that man and the woman began to rejoice. He said, he began to walk over here and that brand new little baby's laying in that crib. He said, he put his hand on that baby and said, sir... Didn't you tell me that your father was an alcoholic? He said, yes, sir. He said, my father and his father and his father, all the way up, they was all alcoholics. He said, and I was too till the Lord saved me. Said that probation officer. Said, well, sir, I'm a saved man. 
He said, this does my heart good to see what's going on. He said, but do you realize that the devil had a great plan for this little baby? said the devil had a great plan for this little baby to probably be an alcoholic and to ruin his life just like you were about to. He said, but since God is in this house, since God is in your heart and in your heart, he said, there's no telling what God may be able to do with that little baby. He said they wept and cried and rejoiced in that little trailer. You say, Brother C.T., what's this got to do with the blood covenant and why are you telling us about this? Because you have to understand that that man that was a drunk, that was my daddy. That woman that sat back there didn't want nothing. Woo! Didn't want nothing to do with God. That was my mama. Born again in the family of God. And that little baby laid in that crib that by all rights ought to be up in West Virginia with meth flowing through my body and liquor running through my veins. It's standing here tonight letting you know that the blood of God still has the power to wash away your sins. Help me out, Mr. Soundman. I'm about to lose my voice. I'm telling you, the blood is still the only answer. The world will ruin your life, but the blood can fix what nothing else can fix. A drunken man that the world had given up on. My daddy now is up in West Virginia pastoring a church. Two or three hundred people every week come to hear that old drunk man preach the Word of God. I said, Daddy, did you quit drinking? He said, No, I didn't quit drinking. He said, I just changed fountains. Hey, that woman that didn't want God. Hey, that woman, she didn't want God. But now she's a preacher's wife. I got a brother that's a pastor. I'm a preacher. God took a family that was upside down, changed it by the grace of God. And it was the blood. It was the blood. It was the blood. The blood is the only answer to a sin sick world. Let me ask you a question. When did you enter into a blood covenant with Jesus Christ? I didn't ask you when you joined the church. I didn't ask you if he's a deacon or one of the best kids in this church. Take me to the place. When did you enter into a blood covenant with Jesus? You're missing out big time. The best life in the world is being born again. Hey. I know the world wants to make it look boring and sad and gloomy, but I'm telling you, the cross sign is a plus sign. It's not a minus sign. The cross of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus has changed my life and gave me joy I never thought possible. The blood covenant teaches us the redeeming process of Christ. But the salt covenant teaches us our responsibility in this thing. I want to... Submit for your approval some redneck theology. Are y'all ready for this? Redneck theology, that's what we call it in West Virginia. I'm about to make one of them profound statements. Y'all ready for this? God has never saved one person to just sit on a pew. That was mighty weak. I'm going to say it again so y'all that aren't rednecks can catch up with the redneck. You with me? God has never saved one person to just sit on a pew. 
But every person that God saves, I believe this with all my heart, every teenager that God saves, every young person that gets reached on a bus, every young person that walks through the doors, every mother, every father, every adult, every senior saint, God did not save you to sit on a pew, but He has a purpose and He has a plan and He has something that He wants you to do. I'm glad that you've been saved. I'm glad that you've entered into a blood covenant. I'm glad that you're born again. But now it's time to make the next step. And not only enter into a blood covenant, but enter into a salt covenant and learn what your responsibility is in this thing called being a Christian. I found out when I studied this out what a salt covenant was. And they said that a salt covenant was this. If two men were going to go into a business arrangement together, one man would bring bread to the table and one man would bring salt. The man would tear the bread apart and then he would take salt and pour salt. All over that bread, the two men would eat the salted bread and that would signify an alliance, a joining, and a covenant between those two men. And as I studied that, I about lost it in my little study place. Because I couldn't help but think. The Word of God in Leviticus chapter 2 verse 13 says the salt of the covenant is what the Bible says. King James, that's what your Bible says. And the, the, the salt covenant, I couldn't help but think how Jesus said, I am the bread of life. But He also said, ye are the salt of the earth. You see, Jesus brings the bread and He's waiting on you to bring the salt. He brings the bread. You have to bring the salt. It's said in Leviticus chapter 2, With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. What's an offering? Every time you sing in the choir. Every time you preach a sermon. Every time you give in the offering, every time you witness to the kids at school, every time you do something for God, that is an offering. And God said, every time you make an offering to me, make sure that it's not in your own ability. Make sure it's not in your own power. But make sure that you offer it with salt all over it. I want to make this statement. The salt makes all the difference in the world. Or the anointing or the power of God that rests on a person's life. You say, well, I don't know. And there's a big mix-up and people trying to operate out of education nowadays rather than in the power of God. There's a big mistake of people trying to operate out of talent or charisma outside of the power of God. But let me say this. It's not by might and not by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. I'm telling you, we've got to get back to operating out of the genuine power of an almighty God because that's the only way the job's going to get done. I've seen, I've seen singers. I wish, I wish y'all'd see some of the nauseating stuff I get to see. I've seen, I mean, I ain't got no hobby horse. I ain't no legalist preacher. I ain't, I ain't got a mean bone in my body. But this is just something that bothers me every now and then. I, I see groups come in. I'm talking about everything big, and not all of them's bad. There's some good ones out there. But I've seen some that are more interested in entertaining than operating in the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. And I don't have a problem with that even, as long as you know how to turn the switch when it's time to go to church. 
But but most of them they come in. I mean, they got the nice bus. They come in. They come, I mean, everything's matching. Everything's good. They got the little dance moves going on. They looking at each other at the right moment. They know how to hit this at the right time. Everything's wonderful. But ain't nothing moving. Ain't nothing flowing. And ain't no Holy Ghost nowhere in sight. And then I've been in meetings when they're a group called the Hendersons. I only like a microphone. They don't know how to spell the word pitch. They don't, they don't, I mean, they don't know nothing about all that education of music. One of them died this year. I've been sad about that, but. Uh, they, they get up here many times. I've seen them in churches of two and three thousand people not even get a microphone. And uh, she'll say, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None. And boy, she'll start walking around and she'll do that little foot like that. And before you know it, I'm talking about, I mean, there's groups got a better sound. They got better sound systems. They got everything in the world. But when that group gets up, they ain't got no big bus. They ain't got no great talent. They don't have great ability. But when they begin to sing, it's more than their talent. It's more than their voice. It's more than their strength. God help me. As they sing, you can feel the salt begin to flow all over that building. I'm telling you, it doesn't have to do with your ability. It's not your strength. It's not your charisma. It's got to do with how much salt you've got on your life. When I travel with my preacher through college, he'd get up and he'd get in them big wig meetings and I mean we's we's way out of place, but I'd see him I'd see him big dignitary preachers. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about everybody give him a golf clap when they get up there and he would get up and he would do his little speech and his little exhortation. I'm talking about everything was prim, everything was proper, everything was exegeted correctly, everything was homiletically sound. And as he began to preach, I wanted to puke. I'm talking about plenty education. I got education. I got, but I, it ain't got nothing to do with that. And, I, and I've seen them preachers get up and preach, and it was educational. It was wonderful, but nothing was stirring. Nobody's heart was changed. Nobody's life was fixed. Then I've seen preachers say, "Hey, brother Jim Bob, I don't know if there's a Jim Bob in here. I just use that. Hey, brother Jim Bob, won't you come up here and?" Jim Bob probably pastors 20, 30 people over on the other side of town. He comes up here. He ain't never had homiletics. He, he don't know how to spell the word exegete. Neither do I. Somebody say amen. I mean, he don't know nothing about all that, but he gets in that book and from the first second he begins to read that Bible, there's something, hey, there's something begins to flow in that building. And you know right quick, he's not operating in his ability. He's not operating in his talent. But that man of God has been in a closet somewhere with the door shut and got salt on his life. It's time we got salty again for the glory of God. Listen to me. America's going to hell. You hear me? Now you got a wonderful place here. And Brother Lee and all you other preachers, all y'all got great churches. But hear me well. 
There's churches all around that's so dead and so dry. They wouldn't know who the Holy Ghost was if He slapped them in the face. I'm talking about teenagers getting up and weeping under demonstration of the Holy Ghost. They would laugh at that. They would mock at that. I'm talking about they got all the, the big crowd and they got all this stuff going on. But there's no Holy Ghost involved. And we do all we want to do to point the fingers at the Democrats. We can do all we want to do to point the finger at the Republicans. But it is not their fault. It started in the house of God because somewhere along the line we programmed God out of everything we do. We started operating out of our talent. We started operating out of our ability. And we started being sugar instead of salt. There's lots of sugar being spread around everywhere. There's lots of people spreading out sugar and people running to it like crazy. But it'll never get the job. It'll rot your teeth out. Salt. Salt will get on you and get in them infected spots. And them wounds. And it'll hurt you. But it'll heal you. Thankful for salt. Heard a story about a preacher named Sam Jones. Sam Jones was one of the greatest preachers ever walked foot on American soil. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, he went across this nation with the power of God all over his life. They said when he'd go into a town, he would shut the entire liquor industry up in that town because all the bartenders would get saved. And You can't have no bar if you ain't got no bartenders. At least that's what you told me. I ain't never been to one. But you can't have no bar if you ain't got no bartenders. But... He said that there was a man in Nashville, Tennessee that made this statement and publicized it. said, if Mr. Jones ever comes to Nashville, Tennessee, I'll either have him killed or ran out of town. Mr. Ryman was the one that said he owned all the liquor industry in Nashville. He was the wealthiest man in Nashville. And he knew if Sam Jones come to that town, it would shut down everything he does. And he threatened the life of Mr. Jones. Word finally got back to Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones woke up the next morning. And the Holy Ghost said, it's time to go to Nashville. Mr. Jones said, Lord, hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? It's going to kill me if I go to Nashville. But he was in a blood covenant. When you're in blood covenant with God, he, he's got your back. He's got your back. Let me say this. The safest place to be is in the will of God. The safest place you could be is in the will of God. Let me also say this. The most dangerous place you could be is outside the will of God. He said he got on that train and went to Nashville. said he prayed that morning. Asked God to go with him. I can see him saying, Lord, if you'll bring the bread, I'll bring the salt. And hand in hand, Jesus and Sam Jones got on that train and went to Nashville. The memoir I read uh, was funny to me. It said he got off that train. First thing he did is he caught a coach over there to Mr. Ryman's mansion. Went and knocked on that big mansion door. You talk about boldness. Knocked on that big mansion door and the doorman come to the door. Mr. Ryman wasn't even home yet. Said the doorman comes to the door and he said, Hello, I'm Reverend Sam Jones. He said, I'm preaching revival in this town. And I'm supposed to stay in this house the whole time I'm preaching it. Could you please show me to my room? Mr. Ryman didn't have a clue. Mr. Jones walks through those doors and said that doorman, I kind of wonder maybe like he missed a memo or something. But he said, well, yes, sir, come on in. And he took him up to the guest room. And Mr. Jones looked at him before he went in the room and said, I'm going to eat dinner with Mr. Ryman. Could you please tell me when he's at the dinner table? 
The doorman's still wondering if he's missed something. He said, but yes, sir, I'll come get you at supper time. You just be ready. And sure enough, supper time come, doorman knocked, and Mr. Jones was ready. He had his big old Bible, his top hat, his big old coat. Began to walk down through the big, huge mansion. And walked down to the bottom and opened up to a big, huge dining room. And at the head of the table was big old Mr. Ryman that had been running his mouth about the preacher. And Mr. Jones walks in there with the boldness of the Holy Ghost, got down there to where he was. He said, hello, I'm Reverend Sam Jones. God sent me this town to reach this city for the God, for the cause of Christ. And God told me I'm going to stay at your house and I'm going to eat your food while I'm preaching it. <laughs> said Mr. Ryman's eyes got that big around trying to figure out how he's going to get out of that one. He said he was going to kill him and ruin his life. But now he's standing right in front of him. What you going to do now? said he sat down and just... He wouldn't even look at Mr. Jones. said he kept on eating his food. and said the whole time he sat there, Mr. Jones sat there beside him and started telling him about the love of God. Throwing salt all over him. Said, said, uh, started telling him how Jesus changed his life and told him what God was going to do in that city and how God was going to turn Nashville upside down. And said, finally, Mr. Ryman had had enough. He said, all right, you can stay here tonight. But you better find you somewhere else by tomorrow. Mr. Jones shook his hand and said, I thank you for your kindness, sir. I'll be praying for you. I love you. You have a good night. He said he walked out there and went and preached. And that night when he came home, there was a note under the door from Mr. Ryman. He said, I don't know why I'm doing this. He said, but you can stay here and you can eat my food, but please just leave me alone. You know what salt does? It makes you thirsty. <laughs> It makes you thirsty. And Mr. Ryman had all the money that the world could find. He had all the nice houses. He had all the plus luxurious living. But that preacher now has something that Mr. Ryman has never known about. And Mr. Jones has put salt all over it. And Mr. Ryman's walking around with a thirsty soul trying to figure out how to get what Mr. Ryman has. He said every night he'd come back and he would re-preach that sermon to Mr. Jones and said before it was over, they'd become pretty good friends. They'd sit down at that table and he would tell him and say, Mr. Ryman, Jesus sure would like to save you. Jesus sure would like to change your life if you'd let him. Said four or five weeks into that meeting, said all at once, the whole crowd turned around, looked at the back, and a gasp of air could be heard all over the place as everybody realized that Mr. Ryman was in the building. He was under such Holy Ghost conviction Memoir said he was walking with his head hung low under conviction, realizing what he'd said. And now everybody's wondering if he's coming to kill Mr. Jones. But he didn't come to kill Mr. Jones. He'd come to get what Mr. Jones had. And he walked in and sat over on the side. Mr. Jones began to preach the Word of God, began to sling salt all over that tabernacle. And they said as soon as he got done, the very first man to walk the aisle and give his life to Jesus was Mr. Ryman. Said Mr. Ryman walked down there. Mr. Jones led him to the Lord. Said Mr. Jones, Mr. Ryman, Mr. Ryman fell in love with Jesus at such a level. Said that he wanted to build the biggest building that he could so Mr. Jones could come anytime he wanted and preach a revival, preach a crusade everywhere he wanted, and the number of people wouldn't be a problem. It's called the Ryman Auditorium. Now it's still there to this day, but it's owned by the Grand Ole Opry. The Grand Ole Opry was the house built by Mr. Ryman for Mr. Jones. 
And every Saturday, tomorrow night, they'll get in there and they'll play that country music. But that's not why that place was built. That place was built because of a preacher that looked at Jesus. And Jesus said, Jesus, if you'll bring the bread to Nashville, I'll bring the salt. And he went there despite what the brethren thought. Despite what the devil told him. Could you see Jesus spread the table in Nashville? And Sam Jones had the salt with him. Here's the title of the sermon. I've waited to the end to give it to you. Can you see the table spread? The table's laid out. Jesus is sitting at the table. He's got the bread broken. And He's looking you in the eyes. Wanting to know if you've brought any salt to church with you tonight. Here it is. What are you bringing to the table? Singer, when you step up behind the pulpit to sing, I don't care how good you sound. I don't care. I don't care how much education you've been taught. How much salt you bringing up here with you? Young preacher, when you step up here, are you just bringing a pretty little outline? Are you just bringing what you've been taught? Or are you bringing any salt? To the equation with you at all. Youth choir member, when you get up here, have you just memorized the words? Or is there any salt on your life that can be a blessing? Jared, come on, I'm done. I couldn't help but think today when I was thinking about this thought about all the people that put salt on my life. I started thinking about this being a youth meeting, young people. And the reason, I believe, if I was talking to preacher, I haven't. But the reason why he has these meetings is because he's hoping somebody will bring salt and throw it on you. And you turn into a salty Christian. Go ahead, Jared. I started thinking about all the people in my life that's thrown salt on me. I couldn't help but think about my mama. About the times when I'd, I remember waking up in the middle of the night preaching. I'd be half asleep and thinking the roof was leaking. But it was my old godly mama over me praying, God use me and the devil keep off of me. She was shed more than tears. She was throwing salt on my life. I started thinking about that daddy of mine. Stand up every week and preach that word of God. Sometimes there was people there. Sometimes there weren't. I remember as a boy just being a handful of us and Daddy get up there and preach like there's 10,000 people in that church. He didn't know it at the time. But he was throwing salt all over my life. I think about the preachers down through the years. I, 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 think, about, I think about old Harry Nix. As a little boy, he's just throwing salt all over my life. I think about different preachers all down through the generation. Many I haven't seen in years. But I think about preachers down through the years that have carried salt into my life. I think about people and friends and other teenagers that decided not to be average and not to be normal. But they carried salt with them. And they put salt on my life. Names like Billy Kelly. Mays Jackson. Harold Seitler. Jack Howe. Men of God that went across this nation. Not just with education, but with power of God on their lives. And we're living in a day when America's in as bad shape as it's ever been. 
them schools y'all go into are hell holes. And God's looking for some young people that'll say, all right, Lord, I'm saved. But I'm ready to enter into that salt covenant. And Jesus, if you'll bring the bread to my school, I'll bring the salt with me. Jesus, if you'll bring the bread to my church, I'll bring the salt. You say, well, well, I don't know about my church. I can't do a whole lot. I, it don't get on like it gets here. It, it, don't, it don't happen. Well, God can use you to be a salty person. And you bring the salt. And you make a difference for the glory of God. Quit waiting on somebody else. Quit looking for somebody to do something. And you get salty and you do something. Jesus wants to know tonight, what are you bringing to the table? Sunday school teacher, what do you bring to that Sunday school class with you? Scares me to death. Every time I preach now, I see somewhere in this church, Jesus got a table spread. The bread's laid out. He's looking at me, wanting to know if I brought any salt to the equation. America's going to hell. It's time for the people of God to rise up. Say, all right, God, I'm going to quit complaining about it and I'm going to do something about it. Some of y'all remember a day when you were more salty than you are now. Won't you come get salty again for God? Have salt in yourselves, the book of Mark said. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed as we stand all over the church. I wonder how many teenagers, how many people come get around an altar and say, Lord, I want to be salty. I want to be a salty singer. I want to be a salty preacher. Lord, I want to be salty for the glory of God. Would you come? Would you come? Sing. Turn it over. There are trophies to be won. If you don't reach your friends, success is left to claim. And some would give their very souls to reach earth's highest fame. But to count it gain would be my loss. If I lay down commitment's cross, so I lift my eyes to things above. Now search me with a heart of love. I just want to please. My plans had all been made Since I already cast The world was at my fingertips I had arrived at last But the cry could not be pacified From my heart about to break inside Then Jesus showed himself to me And said, just look what you could be I just want to please the Lord Be in His will in every way To be lost in His 
presence found in his likeness to hear him say well done someday so I will bring my offering and lay it at his feet all I was and all I am and all I ever want to be I just want to please the Lord. Be in His will in every way. To be lost in His presence. Found in His likeness. Hear Him say, well done someday. To be lost in His presence, found in His likeness, here say, well done. Welcome home, my faithful son. I want to hear Him say, well done someday. My plans had all been made. You need to come tonight. Come on. Since I already cast, the world was at my fingertips. I had arrived at last, but the cry could not be pacified. From my heart about to break inside, and Jesus showed Himself to me and said, "Just." Look what you could be. I just want to please the Lord. Be in His will in every way. To be lost in His presence. Found in His likeness. Hear him say, well done, someday. Now I just want to please the Lord. Be in His will in every way. To be lost in His presence. Say well done someday. So I will bring my offering and lay it at His feet. All I was and all I am and all I ever wanna be. I just wanna please.
nothing any better. I'd see him sit there and he'd, he'd act like he was in a strange place when he got to come in here. <laughs> but now he's just at home, aren't you? Amen. Just got born into the family of God, entered into the blood covenant. The blood has now taken care of it all. It's all under the blood. Amen. Your past, your present, your future is secure in Jesus Christ now. Amen. What a blessing. What a blessing. Amen. That We wasn't expecting that. We was expecting some Christians to get right, you know. And God just had the birthing room right over here to the side. Amen. Hallelujah. How much more wonderful can it get? And God just passing by, saving a soul, giving them eternal life. You got eternal. You're gonna live as long as God lives. <laughs> Amen. What a blessing. I couldn't slap that smile off his face right now. Amen. God done put a Holy Ghost smile on his face. Amen. Amen. I tell you what, y'all come by and let him know you're glad he's got saved tonight. That's a miracle of God right there. Amen. A miracle of God. Y'all come by and let him know you're glad he got saved. You need to do business with God tonight. You come on. These altars are still open. We had five or six get saved Wednesday night. Ladies, you slip on out and go over there to the fellowship home. Be getting ready. We've got, we've got hot dogs. We got food for everybody that will stay. Let me say this tonight. Everybody, listen to me just a minute. Tomorrow at three thirty, you be back at three thirty. We got, we've got a whole hog on the smoker cooking, and we're gonna feed everybody that'll come back at three thirty. Then at five o'clock tomorrow will be our, our next service. So you be sure to come back tomorrow. Tell people to come, invite people to come, and uh, might see something. God save somebody else. Amen. So you stay tonight and eat with us. We want you to stay and eat with us, have some fellowship. Let's bow for a word of prayer, and we'll pray over the food. And once you tell him that you're glad he got saved, and you can go over there to the fellowship hall. Now, Heavenly Father, tonight, Lord, we're thankful for what you've done. Lord, it's been a it's been a blessing to be in the house of God tonight with you. Lord, if you hadn't have shown up, Lord, it, it wouldn't have been any good. We wouldn't have seen the miracles, Lord, that we've witnessed in this room tonight. The people that's gotten victory, the saints of God that has gotten a shout back, and the saints of God that's gotten over a, a, a hump in their life, Lord. I'm thankful, Lord, for what you've done in this room tonight. 
Lord, only eternity will tell what's, been, what's going on. But we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. Thank you for Brother C.T. and Brother Jared coming. God, prepare them, prepare us for tomorrow.